I'm Taylor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. Uh, This week we're off to a small island country that we've never covered on the podcast before. Mainly because this country is generally considered one of the safest places to live with a very low crime rate and sometimes an entire year passes without a single murder. Uh, The crime rate in this country is so low that there is only one case that true crime fans associate with this country. But that's not the one we're talking about today. Uh, This country has also topped the Global Peace Index ranking for most peaceful country in the world every year since the index was created in 2008. We're going to Iceland. (laughs) And we're not talking about the Reykjavik Confessions. Uh, Instead, we're sticking with our theme of ancient serial killers and travelling back to the 16th century to find out more about Iceland's one and only serial killer, Björn Pettersson. As with last week's episode on Elizabeth Bathory, we've used Google Translate, YouTube and other podcasts to try and learn the pronunciations, but I still feel like we have to say, if we have any Icelandic listeners, we're sorry. Yeah, it's it's complicated and there are letters that are unfamiliar, so uh, we've tried. And also, the lady on Google Translate speaks too fast, so I I hereby petition for a like a way to slow her down so you can learn it better. That's yeah. Google, if you're listening, why? But also, hear my plea. I mean, Google is always listening. That's true. Google is always listening, no matter what. Anyway, anyway, on to today's case. Yes, Bjorn Petterson was the youngest of three children. He was born in 1555 on a farm just outside the village of Bordish in a region of Iceland called Snæfellsnes. Uh, the Snæfellsnes Peninsula is a 60-mile-slash-100-kilometer-long peninsula in western Iceland, which, according to Lonely Planet, is renowned for its fjords, volcanic peaks, lava fields, sheer cliffs, and sweeping beaches. Sounds like- Which apparently are golden beaches. I always hmm. thought, having never been, I always thought that all the beaches in Iceland were black. Oh, like lava beaches. Yeah, because that's the only photos you ever see. Yeah, yeah. Are the black beaches. <laughs> so, you know. There you go. Apparently they're golden beaches yeah. in uh, Snæfellsnes. <laughs> uh, the region is just north of the capital Reykjavik and has been called Iceland in miniature. Uh, because most of the things tourists visit Iceland for can be found on the peninsula, except for the Blue Lagoon, which is uh, south of Reykjavik. On the western coast of the peninsula is the Snæfellsjökull National Park, named after the Snæfellsjökull, which is a 700,000-year-old glacier-capped volcano, and it literally translates to Snowfell Glacier, and fell as in a high up barren landscape not snowfall so and it's not that <laughs> icelandic volcano in case anyone is wondering that icelandic volcano that disrupted everything in europe in 2010 and possibly north america yeah yeah a lot of stuff and the eastern yeah is called eyjafjallajökull or e15 that one's easier to say I know, that's why I said it. (laughs) Snæfellsjökull Volcano and National Park were immortalized in the 1864 French novel Journey to the Center of the Earth by Jules Verne, 
in which the protagonists find a passage to the center of the earth in the national park. Uh, along with the volcanoes and lava fields, the peninsula is dotted with small fishing towns and villages, as well as farming communities and bird and wildlife sanctuaries. Interestingly, the region also houses the long wave radio mast at Helisandur, which at 412 meters tall is one of the tallest fixed structures in Europe. That's impressive. That's very, that's very tall. It's very tall. Um, I have been to Iceland once, uh, in for like three days or something as a, cause when I moved out here to Scotland, I booked my flight on Iceland air and they have a deal where if you're flying from between the U S and Europe, you can make a stopover in Iceland for, I think it's up to like seven days for free That's cool. in your journey. So when my mother and I flew out here, we were like, why don't we just do that? Because it breaks up the flight from like, it breaks it up into like two four hour flights, I want to say, instead of like an yeah. eight hour flight. Yeah, because it is slightly longer than just flying straight, straight across because you go north yeah. and then south um, again. But, but yeah, I didn't know you could do that. I mean, I know a lot of people do stop over in Reykjavik but I don't I didn't realize that like you could do like you could do that for free essentially yeah it's not have to pay extra it's one of Iceland's air airs like big selling points um oh. and yeah so we we got there at like 9 a.m or something I think we took a red eye <laughs> got there at, like 9 a.m we rented a car um my mother driving and trying to read Icelandic road signs was interesting. <laughs> uh, we ended up like the Airbnb that we were staying in wasn't ready until like noon or something. So we slept in a parking spot in central Reykjavik for like an hour and a half and then kind of stumbled around completely exhausted. And then, yeah, just kind of we one day we took the car out and did the like golden circle. You go to um Oh god, what's it called? The big waterfall. Oh, Gulf Gulfoss waterfall. Golden waterfall. Oh. It's fan like gorgeous, absolutely stunning. Um we saw some Icelandic horses out in fields and they were cute and we went to one of the geysers and we didn't end up going to the blue lagoon but we drove to one of the hot springs but then couldn't figure out how to get in and it was very beautiful we had some delicious delicious fish it was very expensive <laughs> in Reykjavik mm. um but yeah, I'd like to see more of like the the rest of the country because we were only in the sort of greater Reykjavik area. Also, trying to use an Icelandic gas station was super confusing when we had to fill up the rental car to go back to the airport. Like it wouldn't take our cards and it we also didn't know like which buttons to press to get it to actually spit out fuel and like it was a whole <laughs> it's a whole thing so 
if if anyone is planning to go to Iceland, maybe research those sorts of things beforehand. Also, like yeah. what the road signs mean, because if you're from the, <laughs> the States, they're very different. They're more close to like the ones that are here in the UK. But yeah, well, European road signs are all quite similar. Yeah. So obviously different languages, but yeah, the colors and everything are very similar. We weren't sure what was a stop sign. <laughs> Which is not usually a good thing. Yeah. <sighs> Unlike Taylor, I have not been lucky enough to visit Ireland. But it is on my list. Like, I really want to go because it just looks so beautiful. Uh, a friend of mine, who's actually one of our patrons, uh, she went just before COVID. And I was just living for her photos. <laughs> I was like, oh my god, it just looks so nice. I want to go. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So I, like everyone else who hasn't visited the country, have to rely on photos of, you know, northern lights, the lava fields, the black sand beaches, which I thought was all of the beaches, apparently not, uh, to see, you know, what Iceland is like. And these, like, beautiful, stunning images have become very mixed up with this romanticised image of the island as a safe and peaceful place. And with all the myths, legends, and folklore that seem to be almost woven into just the fabric of Iceland. Yeah. So one of the most famous of these legends is the Huldefolk, or hidden people. They are supernatural beings, often compared to elves, uh, who look like people but inhabit a parallel universe and can appear and disappear at will. But there are also tales of trolls, ghosts, even a whale that disguises himself as an island in order to lure fishermen closer and eat them. I love that. Yeah. Um, I I mean, it is exactly what a homicidal whale would do. Yeah, I I want that to be like a uh, animated children's movie instead of like <laughs> instead of like the bit in Pinocchio. Where they get eaten by the whale. I want the whale to be like actively waiting for them and luring them in. Just murderous. Yeah. Now, we do love a bit of folklore here. But in some of these old cases, it can become difficult to distinguish fact from fiction when looking at these really old cases, uh, when the two have become so entwined. Same as like last week yeah. with Elizabeth Bathory. Yeah. So, with that in mind, take what we're about to say with a slightly massive pinch of salt. Yeah. Also, like, we're talking about 1555 here. Like, that's yeah. where we start, so... It's nearly 500 years yeah, ago. Yeah, like, that plus sort of folklore and mythology is... Uh, there's so a lot of reasons that some of this is kind of out there. <laughs> yeah. So according to Icelandmag.is, when uh, Petrushen's mother Sigrir was pregnant with him, she had a strange pregnancy craving, which she had not experienced with her first two children. And that was for human blood. Ew. Just okay. stick with pickles. Come on. So his father obliged and allowed his pregnant wife to drink his blood. Okay. 
and Sigrir allegedly confessed to one of the female farmhands that she feared she was carrying some kind of monster. Yep. So after drinking her husband's blood, Sigrir had horrific and disturbing nightmares uh, that were so bad that they could not be described. This is one of them things where it's like, I'd do anything for love, but I won't do that. Yeah. Uh, you no, you cannot drink my blood. It's a bit of a meatloaf moment. Yeah, it, no, no. Um, right. So, pinch of salt, all that. Keep that in mind. As a child, Petrushin was rebellious and difficult to control. Uh, but he wasn't really that different from other boys, and he certainly didn't show any of the warning signs that we now sort of associate with future serial killers. At this time in Iceland, it was common for wealthier families to sort of foster children and teenagers from poorer families in the hopes of giving them a better shot at life. So as a young teenager, Petterson moved onto a nearby farm, which was owned by a friend of his father's named Ormor Fortlifsson. Ormor was considered the sort of rich man of the area. Some sources have him as Ormor the Rich. Uh-huh. Um, and he had a son named Gudmunda, who was about the same age as Petrushan, and the two teenagers became close friends as they worked together on the farm. So one Sunday, at the age of about 15, Petrushan decided to take a nap instead of going to church, and during this nap he had an interesting dream that set in motion a chain of events which would lead Petrushan to becoming Iceland's only serial killer. Oh. So in this dream, Petrushin was approached by a stranger who offered him a plate of meat. Uh, already sounds like a nightmare to me. Yeah. Um, some sources claim that it was raw meat. Other sources simply say that it was just meat. I mean, if I was really hungry and like starving and someone was like, here's a plate of food, I'd be like, okay, right. cool. But a stranger just randomly offering you a plate of meat. Seems like they have ulterior motives. Yeah, just like, it's not, uh, as far as I know, it's not a traditional welcome of like, hey, nice to meet you. Here's a plate of meat. No. Like maybe if there it was like cold cuts and some cheese and crackers, that's a different story. But I there's no crackers mm. here. It's just meat. No, not even any cheese. No cheese. So... Yeah, some kind of meat, raw or otherwise. Uh, Petrushin ate 18 pieces of meat, but then he suddenly felt sick and stopped eating. Uh, The stranger then told Petrushin to climb to the top of a nearby mountain called Axlarhirner, where he would find the object that would make him famous. So, having awoken from this dream... Following day, Petrushin climbed the mountain, and at the top, he found an axe. Possibly. You know. Um, Massive handful of salt. Yeah. So, regardless of the veracity of this story of the dream and finding the axe, who really knows... It wasn't long after this dream that a young farmhand who was working alongside Petrushin and Goodmurder on the farm disappeared and was never seen or heard from again. 
Petterson would later confess to killing the boy with his new axe from the top of the mountain, uh, dismembering him and hiding his body under a manure heap. Which, like, terrible, but also smart. Well, also just the disrespect. Well, yes, yeah. Uh, some years after this first murder of the young farmhand, whose name we sadly do not know, Ormor Fortlifshen died from natural causes and left his entire estate, including multiple farms, to his son Gudmunder. As the pair were good friends, Gudmunder gifted one of the farms to Petterson. The farm was called and I apologize to everyone listening because this is one we cannot figure out how to pronounce. <laughs> Oxch. Yeah. Oxch. I'm going to resort back to uh, Google Translate to double check this one because it really confuses me. The farm was called Oxch. We think. That's what the, <clears throat> that's what the Google Translate lady told me. And uh, this farm was supposedly one of the finest farms in the area. And after taking up residence at this farm, Petterson became known as Axla Bjorn. Uh, some believe that this is because of the axe at the top of the mountain, but in Icelandic, Axh and its variations mean shoulder or shoulders. Mm. And in fact, uh, Axlahirnar, the mountain where Petterson found the axe, means shoulder angle. So the name is actually in reference to the place he lived rather than his crimes, which makes sense because it's in Icelandic, not in English. Yeah, like, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Petrishin lived on the farm with his wife, Thordish Olofsdottir. Uh, although this area is now sparsely populated, the village nearest the farm's uh, Burdish currently has only 10 permanent residents, according to Curmudgeon Travel. Great. Yeah, sources on this are few and far between. <laughs> I just like, I love the name. That's how I travel, um, curmudgeonly. Yeah, same. Uh, same. Um, yeah, so 10 permanent residents now. Uh, at the time of Petrishin's crimes, it was a thriving center for fishing and trade with plenty of people passing through. And many of these people passing through sought shelter overnight at the farms across the Snifelsnes Peninsula, including Petrishens. Not only this, there were also plenty of people passing through looking for seasonal work on the peninsula's farms. And like all places of transient nature, it's very easy for people to disappear without anyone noticing or coming looking for them. And sadly, that's what happened on Aksh Farm. However, it was only so long that people can keep disappearing before somebody notices and comes looking for them. Uh, over the years, Petterson and Olastotter seemed to acquire horses, jewellery and clothing that they couldn't have afforded on their farming income. As more and more farmhands and travellers disappeared, all of them having been seen at Axch Farm before vanishing, Locals began to ask questions about what was going on at the farm. Uh, but the couple were lucky as uh, because Omar had been the wealthiest man in the area and upon his death, his son, Godmunder, inherited his wealth. 
and the influence that came with that wealth. And as the wealthiest man in the area, Godmander was able to use his influence to protect his friend when people became suspicious and kind of point authorities in another direction. Handy. Very handy. But we should say there's no... There's nothing about whether he knew what was going on or whether it's just he believed his friend was innocent uh-huh. and like defended him and because of his wealth and status people were like okay well if he says yeah it must it's be true. legit it's legit yeah. kind of thing so we don't know yeah one or the other same end result right mm. There are debates as to how involved Olaf's daughter was in her husband's crimes, but sources seem to agree that she knew what was going on and helped her husband uh, cover up the murders. Some sources go as far as claiming that she too was a murderer, but we don't know for sure. Obviously. <laughs> hey, Olaf's daughter, were you a murderer? Yes? No? Um, Might need a, you know, a clairvoyant, a psychic, maybe a medium. Yeah, yeah, I think... Have a nice little seance. seance. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Uh, Regardless of Olaf's daughter's involvement in her husband's crimes, the couple carried on luring travelers and farmhands to the farm before killing and robbing them, uh, hiding the bodies on their farmland until 1596. Uh, The story goes that a woman was traveling through the peninsula with her three children when they sought shelter on Axt Farm, and Petrushin lured each of the children away one by one and killed them. Uh, the mother managed to escape before Petrushin could kill her and fled to safety, where she reported the murder of her three children to the authorities. That's the most common version of events. There are a few different variations of this story. Some say that it was just three siblings traveling together. One managed to escape, or two siblings were uh traveling and one was murdered one escaped there is another variation that claims it was the mother who was murdered and the child or children managed to escape but that one is rarer Mm. either way after the escapee told the authorities of petrushan's crimes he and his wife were arrested petrushan confessed to nine murders but when the farm and surrounding lands were searched searched the remains of many more people were found, and ultimately he was found guilty of 18 murders. A uh, part of the folklore surrounding Petrushan points to the 18 pieces of meat that he <laughs> ate in the dream before finding the axe at the top of the mountain. Um, uh, really? Sure. Well, I suppose you can you could twist it like the 19th made him feel ill. Yeah, and so and that's when he got caught. So there's so, a, there's an omen there. There is, but I think it's just folklore. Yeah. I think that's probably right. <laughs> uh Petrushan claimed that the reason for all the bodies on the farm was that he just kept finding dead people on his land. So he dismembered them and buried them around the land rather than, you know, contacting the authorities or even just taking the bodies to a church for a proper burial, like a normal sane person might do, uh, yeah. who isn't a serial killer. Yeah. Uh, the authorities obviously didn't believe this. I I am shocked. Um, <laughs> I'm 
just the idea of like, oh yeah, I just found like nearly 20 dead people on my land and you know what? I just decided I'd, I'd cut them up and rebury them. Yeah. Yeah, and there's a lot of numbers get thrown around like nine he confessed to nine he was convicted of 18 and 18 seems to be the most common number but there's suspicion whether this was at the time or sort of in the years since as the story's being passed down yeah um there are a lot bigger numbers thrown around because it was 26 years yeah you know he committed his first murder at the age of 15 which was 1570 he was arrested in 1596, so it's 26 years. So there are suspicions that there were more. Yeah. Uh, Olaf's daughter was also found guilty of the murders, and the pair were sentenced to death. But Olaf's daughter was spared uh, because she was pregnant at the time. Now, if you're squeamish, maybe skip forward about 45 seconds. Uh, I'll put in a chapter marker around this bit so you can just skip to the next chapter if you don't want to hear this because this is going to get kind of nasty here. So here we go. Uh, Petrushin had each of his limbs broken by a sledgehammer and was then hung by the neck until dead before being quartered and his wife was forced to watch. Uh, His genitals were then chopped off and thrown in his wife's lap. You. Uh, some. I, there is a joke there. I'm not going to say it. There's a lot of jokes there. None of them in good taste. No. <laughs> uh, some sources claim that he was broken or at least partly broken on the wheel before being hung rather than broken with a sledgehammer. Others claim that after being broken, he was beheaded rather than hung. Uh, either way, it's not good. And we're back with less gory stuff. No. Uh, people were so afraid of Petrushin coming back as a ghost that after death he was then cut up into small pieces and he was buried beneath three cairns across the peninsula. So sources vary because some say it was like uh, cairns spread out like quite far because the peninsula is like 60 mile long. Mm. Others say that they were quite close together, like within sight of each other. So if you don't know what the hell we're talking about, because I don't feel like it's a very commonly used word anymore, especially outside of rural areas. Yeah. I might be wrong. Uh, So a cairn is a man-made pile or a pyramid of stones in in rural areas, and it's actually a Scottish Gaelic word. Uh, Cairns have been used for millennia for a variety of purposes, but their most popular use is as a marker or landmark of sort. Uh, They were often used to help hikers and travellers find their way in the countryside, marking a path through the wilderness. So this is in the days before maps, you would pass by one cairn and you would be able to see the next Mm. in the distance. And so you'd aim for that one and then you'd see the next. And that's kind of like a beacon system, almost. Um, But they have also been used as... commemorative landmarks to mark burial sites hunting sites or even for astrological purposes but in the modern time as technology has moved on many of these cairns have been lost all over the world although some have uh, been protected there's a lot on the moors where i live Mm -hmm. that 
well, the cairns have been replaced by big crosses and we call them stone betties. The same purpose mm. to mark where you're going through the moorland. Um, according to Guide to Iceland, IS, these three cairns, which Petterson was buried beneath, were used to mark the way for travellers. So, Sorry. a little bit of cairn history. Yeah. A little, little bit of to stone age history rock a yeah. little bit of rock and roll there for you trying this tired apparently <laughs> uh so two of the cairns petition was buried beneath have been lost but the third one still stands and is legally protected as a site of historical importance this cairn is known as drep dreplakoladish cairn and is located near the ancient fishing village of Hecknar on the westernmost part of the peninsula. Uh, the other two were close by, but were lost due to road development in more recent times. Uh, after her husband's death, Olaf's daughter gave birth to a son named Sven Björsson. So, we've saved this bit to the end, <laughs> rather than explain it at the beginning, which would probably have been better. Uh. Traditionally, in Iceland, your surname is your father's name, followed by either son or daughter, depending upon your gender assigned at birth. Yeah. So Bjorn Petterson's father would have been called Petter. Um, so Bjorn became uh, Petterson because he was Petter's son. His father-in-law was must have been called Olaf because his uh, because his wife was called Olaf's daughter. So, Olaf's daughter. Oh. So, apparently, this is all things I've gleaned from the internet. I haven't researched it properly, but various podcasts and TV shows tell us this. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, so apparently, it's quite common in Iceland to come across people with the same surname, but they're like no relation to each other. <laughs> it's just that their fathers had the same name. Uh, and we don't really know what happened to Thordish Olaf's daughter after she gave birth to uh, their son, Sven. But presumably, I mean, she was still a convicted murderer, so... Well, she was, but she was spared the death penalty, so, so we don't know she if was she was... In prison? Was she then thrown in jail yeah. for the rest of her life? Did they let her off? I... I couldn't find out. <laughs> um... What we do know is that the apple didn't fall far from the tree and that Sven Björsson also led a life of crime which ended in 1648 when he was executed after being found guilty of rape. And if that wasn't enough, his son Gisli Svensson was also a career criminal and was executed, although we don't know what kind of crimes uh, it was that he committed. Uh, this, of course, led to all kinds of speculation about there being some kind of criminal or even serial killer gene in the family, which all feeds into the folklore surrounding the story of Bjorn Petersen, Iceland's one and only serial killer. Wow. Yeah. I, I love the serial killer gene that's why i put it in little squiggly bits <laughs> to remind me because it's become like it was a topic on riverdale oh yeah and i remember when we were at uni 
you and our dear friend Madeline, who I love to bits, both on about it and made me watch it. Really, so I started yeah. watching it. And then I think it's like season three or four or something, they start talking about serial killer gene, and I'm like, I, I, I'm like, part of me is like, nope. I've had it, I'm out, but then I also want to know how it ends, because it has to end soon. It can't get any more ridiculous. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. The idea that there's just this serial killer gene. Yeah, and like, there's been a lot of actual research into this sort of thing, and uh, I feel like there's been no sort of well, it's, conclusion. It's generally... It's nature versus nurture, really, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it's like some some serial killers have been found to have a similar gene mutation, but it's also a gene mutation that a bunch of other people have. There is a gene mutation for psychopathy. Yeah. And so I remember reading about there was a researcher who was looking at all these different gene mutations. and or, Is it gene mutation or is it brainwave activity? Oh, I can't remember. Something. There's some kind of genetic yeah. thing that indicates that you probably are a psychopath. Mm-hmm. Psychopath, serial killer, and murderer are not interchangeable. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop doing that. But yeah, I was reading about this this researcher who was looking at whatever sort of biological mutation it is that shows that someone is likely a psychopath. And he to like add into like the comparison pool, he did, like, he added in his own results and various family members mm-hmm. and found that he had this mutation. <laughs> and then when you look at, like, the, like, the symptoms, is that the right? Or traits mm-hmm. of a psychopath, he actually fit most of them. Oh, interesting. But I might be wrong as far as I'm aware, there isn't anything like that for a serial killer. Yeah, that's the thing. It's like, it's not. <laughs> Because there's so many different factors that go into someone becoming a a murderer, but also, like, a multiple murderer. And, like, someone who's murdered only one person could have gone on to become a serial killer if they hadn't been caught, perhaps. Like, there's so many different... So, to, like, finding genetic mutations or variations for psychopathy or sociopathy, like, those things make more sense... But, mm-hmm. yeah, the idea of a serial killer gene that gets, you know, hereditarily passed down, it, it, it's it's mixing two separate, it, it's mixing psychology and biology in ways that don't necessarily mix. Yeah. I think you have said it as much more eloquently than I could. Not really. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. I you know what this reminds me of is Faye and Ray Copeland. Mm. Like farm hand, yeah. farm farmers, I guess, murdering yeah. farm hands for their money and just burying them on the land kind of thing. Yeah, and there's a lot of questions about um Aristotle's involvement. Uh, involvement the same way that Faye Copeland's involvement was questioned. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I hadn't thought of that. I'd forgotten about them. They were a long time yeah. ago. They were about a year ago we did Episode them. 15? 
Yeah. We'll we'll link it um on the website if you want to listen to that. But yeah, that that yeah. was the thing that I kept thinking of when we were going through it. It's like, oh yeah, that that's like these guys. And like the the in the Copeland case, their possessions were found, like like some of the farmhands' possessions yeah. were found. Same here of like they had the horses, horses and, and clothing and jewelry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, obviously you've not got the whole, like, check fraud, no. cattle rustling element, which is probably why I didn't make the connection, because that's what stands out to me. Uh-huh, yeah. Um, is the cattle rustling, because that's what I always remember when it comes to the Copeland case. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of it's just, similarities. It's just, like, 400 years earlier. Yeah. <laughs> all it is Uh, one thing that I thought of which again I think I said last week in the Elizabeth Bathory case is well I think you made the point it's quite similar to uh, Elizabeth Bathory was quite similar to Sawney Bean in the way that over the years these stories have appeared more and more in print Mm -hmm. they've been added to and got more and more fanciful and I think that's probably what's happened here as well with the whole like his mother drinking blood yeah yeah um, there's also a lot of sources allude to him being like a very melancholy type of person uh-huh. which going back to like the comparisons to the Copelands could say was was he abusive was was he just a miserable person or was he like really abusive and everything to his family mm-hmm. and so his wife had no exit no way to get out of this relationship she just was stuck. Yeah. Or was she complicit? We'll never yeah, know. Yeah, well, that's the thing. And, like, it sounds like, I mean, well, if if you were born after your father had been convicted and executed horrifically for murder and your mother was presumably imprisoned at the time and may have continued to be, like, I could understand how that might impact uh, a child and 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 you know lead yeah. him to a life of crime. It seems I forget what my point here was, but oh, that like it seems like in general, like this family didn't have the best things going for it. <laughs> no, and and like you say, if if you are born just months after your father has been executed for serial murder and you know that was a completely new yeah thing concept. that according to records he is the only serial killer iceland has ever had yeah. so your father's been executed for this horrific crime your mother again we don't know presumably imprisoned yeah. or possibly later executed um, yeah maybe um you're not going to have the best upbringing. Uh-uh. People aren't going to like you. <laughs> yeah, and so that, I think, has is more likely to have any impact, to have an impact than any biological Yeah, mutation. exactly. Like, it's going to be... You know, like a serial killer it's, gene. Like, fuck It's going to be societal. It's going to be, like, environmental. Yeah. Um, I think it's more, in this case, it's more nurture than nature. Yeah. The question arises in my mind as well of like if your father or grandfather 
is this notorious serial killer, Iceland's first and only, and you're growing up in the same general vicinity where he lived and carried out his crimes, like, you probably potentially have a target on your back. So yeah, maybe these guys didn't actually commit any crimes, or maybe they did, but, like, it's so... There's so many different possibilities of like how they did or did not end up in these scenarios. It's like, did the town just decide, you know what? These guys are bad eggs because they came from Bjorn Petrosen. So, like, yeah, it's uh, that's the that's the trouble with these old cases is that like there are so many bits of information missing that you want to fill in the blanks and that either that goes in any one of any directions, many directions of like, well, it was 8,000 victims and she was the blood countess and he ate meat on the mountaintop. And when in actuality, it's like he was a farmer and the, he stole money from people he murdered who yeah. came to his farm because it was easy and you couldn't trace him and that was that. Yeah. Or, you know, or it's, you know, Sonny Bean, the cannibal king of Scotland, had a clan of, what was it, like, 40 inbred cannibals in a cave who'd never seen the light of day and probably, like, whether or not any of Sonny Bean is true. I'm sure there was I mean, someone out, you know. I mean, sure, highwaymen. Yeah, exactly. So, but <laughs> the, the, cannibal the cannibal cave. Caves. Mm, not so much. No. I don't think That's so. the thing. It's like, yeah, you want to fill in the details. You want to, you want it to make sense. You don't want it to hmm. just be like, eh, this guy was just a bad guy. Like he just killed people. Yeah. And sometimes that's all there is to yeah. it. But, uh, hey. At the very least, we learned some new words in the process. We did. I We've learned about Icelandic naming yeah. Yeah. traditions. Um, we know that axe and variations of axe are shoulder yes. in Icelandic. Axe. It just sounds like we're taking the piss. It sounds like I've sneezed or something, and I just feel like it must be incorrect. <laughs> mm. And apparently, so Bjor, as in his yeah. name, it apparently means bear, so his name was Shoulder Bear. Ooh, I like that. That's cool. Apparently. Um. So, yeah. Fun roundup for you there. Uh, we have a special thank you shout out this week for our newest patron, Jim, yeah. whose email we actually read out a few weeks ago. Yes. So thank you. Welcome, Jim. You look great today. Uh, your Patreon goodies will be in the post. Hopefully by the time this episode comes out, if I have braved the tourists and been to the post office. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know. Home, my hometown is hellscape right now. And uh, we, as always, do very much appreciate you joining the patreon page and also just emailing us and like 
we're not always the fastest at either like reading out emails or or p- potentially responding to them just because, you know, we've got stuff scheduled in such a way, but uh and also yeah. I forget that stuff's in the email inbox a lot, so <laughs> and we do tend to record at least a week in advance. Yes. So it can take a couple of weeks. Yeah, it, take, it takes a minute. Um, but yeah, it's super cool. And um, so thank you, Jim. Welcome. If you would like to help us cover the costs of making the podcast, help us invest in the future of the show, and help me achieve my dream of going on holiday <laughs> to Iceland, you can do the same as Jim and join our Patreon page. Uh, tiers start at just £1 per month. Every patron gets regular episodes one day early, a shout-out on the show, priority case requests, and a lifetime merch discount. And that's just for £1 a month. As the tiers go up, you get even more, including bonus episodes and some exclusive Money Cannot Buy merch. Uh, check all that out at patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder. Links are in all the usual places. Yep. Uh, And if you like the show, do be sure to rate and review us on your podcast app, especially Apple Podcasts, uh, and subscribe to us so you never miss a new episode. And if you want to get some Square Mile merch, rep us in the streets, as the kids probably don't say. uh, (laughs) We do have a selection of products with some cool designs, and uh, you can find those at squaremileofmurder.store. The link to which will be in our show notes and on our website. And uh, we will see you all next week. Patrons, five pounds and up, we will see you on Friday. Yep. Hopefully we have found a case because the one we were going to do might not happen. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, all these ancient serial killers are really ancient, so there's not a lot of sources on them. Yeah, so we so. might have to go for a slightly less ancient one. Yeah, we'll figure something out. the one we wanted to. It'll be fine. But we'll see you then, yeah. and everyone else will see you next week. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye.